Super Talk Mississippi media production. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Happy Thursday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. We're glad you're with us. Opening segment of the show today sponsored by our good buddies at Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Great food, seven days. If you like barbecues, just nothing better than Dickie's Barbecue. You can enjoy it seven days a week. They'll deliver it right to your house. You can enjoy it through the drive-thru, or you can dine inside. However you choose, just be sure that you choose Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Jonathan Massey, former football player for the Golden Eagles, on the show later. Kelly Sander joining us later as well. But it's Thursday, one of my favorite days of the week, because we always have Patrick McGee, a sports writer from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Now, I should say sports-slash-news reporter from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Patrick, uh, how, how is your double life these days as a news and sports reporter? Uh, I've kind of settled in a little bit. The first couple of months or so, it was my head was spinning, but it's just just roll with the punches and do the best you can. I got you. Well, I, I read your article uh, this morning about a two sports star out of Ocean Springs by the name of Brayson Hubbard. You really gave him high praise, as did his coaches, that he's a tremendous athlete, and he is verbally committed to Southern Miss baseball as a sophomore. Tell us about this kid. Yeah, he's he's somebody that's. I mean, he's only played seventeen uh, games varsity wise, twelve in baseball and five in football. As a, and he did all that as a freshman. So it's it's still a small sample. Uh, but if you talk to Blake Pinnock, who was a grad assistant under Larry Fedora, he's now the football coach at Ocean Springs. He was a head coach at Pass Christian last year. Did a really good job. Kind of an up and coming guy. Uh, he called him John. You know, as a football player, he called him John Reese Plumley two uh, and anybody that saw Plumley play quarterback for Ole Miss this season, we know what that means. That means he's an exceptional athlete, uh, great speed. He runs a 4.5 uh, uh, four-yard dash. Uh, in baseball, it appears that his, you know, at this point it would appear his future is brighter on the baseball side. I, I think it was probably the opposite for Plumley. He wasn't quite the hitter uh, that, that, that it appears uh, Brayson is going to be. He, you know, Brayson in 12 games hit 481 as a freshman. Uh, you know, is is getting stronger. He's like with six one and a half, hundred seventy five pounds. Probably grow another inch, add another fifteen twenty pounds. Uh, and you know, and that speed's not going anywhere. So, Brayson Hubbard is probably going to be an outfielder in college, but he can play every, literally play every position on the field. Uh, he played shortstop this past season. Has played a lot of catcher. Uh, he's you know he's really that type of athlete that no matter where you put him, he's going to produce. Uh, so Brayson Hubbard, uh, is, is if you're Southern Miss, you, you're hoping you can hold on to him and that, you know, uh, that maybe some SEC powers don't sniff around him as a football player. How optimistic are you when a kid this young commits that that commitment sticks, Patrick? What does history say? Well, uh, you know, it, it's been a little mixed there, but, you know, you point to a Slade Wilkes who committed very early to Southern Miss, and, and he's going to be at Southern Miss next season. So, uh, you know, it depends on what offers he gets down the road on the football side. Uh, 
for Brayson, but at this point, I, I think he was really he really likes the staff at Southern Miss, and apparently they've given him a fairly generous offer there on the baseball side. Uh, so I think at this point, there's a pretty good shot he's going up at Southern Miss. But there's you know there's a lot of things that can change over the next three years. Well, you know, you told us about a big signee last week. I I think it's time to say kudos early on to Travis Creel for his recruiting prowess. Yeah, and Slade Wilkes, you know, he he's long been a Southern Miss guy. You know, he was he committed for uh, Travis Krill, but I think but I think Travis Krill has done a good job. Uh, there's Peyton uh, Lacey, a freshman. I think he's going to be a sophomore this year. Pass Christian, a pitcher. Uh, he committed to Southern Miss here recently, so uh, he, he's a Pass Christian, uh, kind of a you know a program that's not really known for baseball, but obviously they found something there. So obviously, I, I guess one thing we can take away from this is that uh, Southern Miss is recruiting uh, on the coast and in Mississippi in general. Luke Johnson, I like hearing about Southern Miss recruiting in Mississippi and landing big names right here from the Magnolia State. Well, Patrick, yeah, one of the things has been concerning is that South Alabama and other people, not on the baseball front, but on on the football front, you know, uh, have – come in on the coast and, and even up into Jones County, South Alabama got to recruit Reed Gavin, a big offensive lineman from South Jones. So, you know, the fact that baseball at least uh, is holding the coast down is is a good sign to me. Now, did, did you mention about the fact that he could possibly play football also? Yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy that, you know, if you talk to his football coach, Blake Pinnock, he thinks he's going to have a a decision to make that he can make, he has the potential to play both sports in college. Uh, you know, as good athletes he is, uh, four or five speed, uh, is probably going to be a pretty good sized guy, close to 200 pounds, 6'2. Uh, he's a guy that could probably play in a lot of different positions on the football field. So, uh, you know, I asked him about playing two sports and he said, if, you know, he would be happy to. I think he called it a blessing if he could play both. So, uh, if he develops as a quarterback, uh, you know, down the road, then that's the position he's going to be playing. Uh, the next two or three years, uh, he could be that Plumlee type, and uh, Plumlee is pretty pretty dangerous with the ball in his hand. I always, it was funny this spring. I always uh, wanted to see how Lane Kiffin and Mike Bianco would would have that conversation. I wanted to be a fly on the wall in that. <laughs> Scott Barry and uh, Jay Hobson uh, may have may have the same thing too. All right, um, ACC yesterday uh, breaks news on what their new what they're going to do, and expecting to hear out of the SEC. Uh, a 10-game conference-only schedule. If that were to hold up, Patrick, that is detrimental to Southern Miss. Yeah, that's, that really, really hinders the chances of having a productive season for Southern Miss and a lot of group of five programs. Uh, uh, Southern Miss and so many programs really rely on tech, ticket revenue. Now, you know, it, you know, it's if you're going into the season and you're only able to get you know a quarter of your usual capacity, especially for a Southern Miss, uh, which you know can pack in twenty five, you know twenty eight thousand fans. That cuts you back to what, like you know, uh, I'm trying to do the math. You know, right around uh, ten thousand or so. You know, maybe a little shy of that. So that's that's um, that's that's less than ideal. And 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 you're starting to weigh your kind of cost benefit of of playing this during the fall. It it you know you need that Auburn check going on the road. And you've already, you know, lost the Jackson State game, which is a a money game for Southern Miss. They're at home. Uh, it's 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 really getting tough for Southern Miss going into this season. And I'm of the belief that that some of these schools are just going to have to start thinking: Is it worth it playing this this spring, or do we want to just push it back to maybe, you know, uh, worth worth playing this fall? Is it you know should we push it back to the spring? 
and see if we can get more people in the stadium. I don't. I mean, it's an impossible situation, really. I mean, it's it's you know, uh, it's unlikely Southern Miss would would be able to. You know, maybe they get some type of agreement where Auburn where they pay out some of that, but uh, maybe in all likelihood they'll just probably push the game down the road. I assume. Patrick, I had a friend uh, throw this scenario at me earlier this week, and he said, uh, why don't they just go ahead and move everything back to spring? We could have some awesome weekends on the campus with baseball and football being played, even basketball, mm-hmm. I suppose. And then everyone would feel better if there were a vaccine. Everyone would, would be more relaxed, could enjoy themselves more, and could go without fear to the ball games. What do you say about that line of thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's in theory that's it's you know it makes sense. Uh, you know, it, it, in the spring, it, I, there would still probably there, there's still going to be a hangover going into the spring as as much as as we'd all like to kind of stamp our fingers and and say say a vaccine is going to really kind of uh, alleviate the stress we're all feeling right now. But it, it's going to be a complicated picture even in the spring. Uh, but I, I think the odds of being able to get out there and get people in the stands. At this point, I mean, some colleges aren't going to have any fans in the stands mm-hmm. at some of these larger schools. So uh, I, I think the best chance to get people in the stands and having decent crowds is in the spring. Uh, but even then, it's a little bit complicated. So to, to think, oh, you know, if we push everything back this spring, it'll be fine. It's not quite right. But I, I think it may be the best option at this point. Well, I'm going to wait and ask you the high school question on the other side of the break because we have less than a minute. But But in the 50 or 60 seconds that we have left uh, in this break, what is Patrick McGee's best guess today as to what we're going to see this fall at Southern Miss when it comes to football? Um, at, at this rate, if if the SEC is is playing conference only, I don't I don't think Southern Miss will be playing football this fall. I think they'll have to push it back to the spring. Really. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just don't see the, the the benefit, the financial benefit of playing games in front of you know six to seven, eight thousand people. Uh, that would just kind of weigh down the 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 whole athletic program. But that's one man's opinion. All right, Luke Johnson, are there tears running down your cheeks at the moment? I'm just still, I, I just still don't see how the SEC is going to, or any of these conferences, they've they've got to pay something. And so I think you got to figure out how much money you're going to get. Now, if that's going to hurt you down the road, if you fight for a million dollars and you never get another check from SEC school, you can't do that. At the same token, Auburn's got to buy the game out if they cancel it. So SEC has all the leverage, but I, I want that piece of the puddle, puzzle before I figure out or before I'm, I'm ready to throw up the white flag. All right, when we come back, uh, new rules and regulations set out by the Mississippi High School Activities Association. We're going to ask Patrick what he thinks about some of those guidelines and whether or not the professor thinks we're going to see high school football as well. Eagle Hour continues with Patrick McGee right after this. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, you want some good looking Southern Miss apparel? Only one place to go. You know where it's at Campus Bookmark on Hardy Street, right across from the Southern Miss campus. If you're not comfortable shopping, and we understand if you're not, that's not going to stop you. You could go to campusbookmark.net, M A R T.net. 
You can pick out your Southern Miss apparel. They have their whole inventory online, and they'll deliver it right to your front door. Got to be talking to Jonathan Massey a little later in the show. Kelly Sennett also will be joining us uh, later in the hour. But right now it's Thursday. It's our day to uh, visit with the professor, Patrick McGee, at the Biloxi Sun Herald. Patrick, the Mississippi High School Activities Association uh, puts out a guide this week, a lot of uh, a lot of guidelines and suggestions Well, how to play football with COVID-19. One interesting thing uh, that kind of grabbed our attention was uh, they were they indicated that they were not going to allow anyone in the press box except the scorekeeper and PA announcer. Well, my my question first, Patrick, is how does the media cover high school football if in fact there is high school football if they have no access to the press box? Probably maybe a little easier for for newspaper journalists than uh, than uh, you know broadcast journalists. But boy, that uh, that makes it difficult. Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of thought about that, you know, even before all these this came out. I thought, well, I don't really want to be in that press box anyway. Uh, I don't want right. to be in there with multiple people. So I've tried to think of different ways. You know, I've tried to print. You know, I can. I'm sure there'll probably be limited people in the stands, and I could sit up in the stands and work from there. Uh, my problem is, is I have to have a laptop in front of me at all times because I'm running a live scoreboard on our website. So right. my computer would probably be going dead by the time that you know the games are with. So. It's going to be a challenge, but you know, I'm not. It's nothing to complain about. Everybody's dealing with difficulties at this point. I'll figure out some way around it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be on the field. That's obviously another risk. I mean, how do how does a TV camera guy get from one end of the field to the next if uh, if the uh, you know the sidelines kind of roped off? Right. Uh, so it's 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 just a whole host of things. We're going to have to figure out different ways to do things. But in my end, I think it's going to, in the end they'll have a fairly simple solution as to how I do my job. Now, in my way of thinking, this is just one man's opinion. There's so many complicating factors here. And I, I, I'll give credit to the association, and Kelly said that. I think he's right. They're trying. you got to give them credit for that. But when you start reading down that list of all the things that have to be done, both on the field, off the field, in the press box, out of the press box, you look at the COVID numbers, uh, what we say yesterday, 15% of all the cases in Mississippi have occurred in the last week. Right. <clears throat> Why are we... Why are the people in charge continuing to push ahead with this idea of of playing high school football, irregardless of the situation with COVID? Well, I, I think we see it in, in, to, um, in different degrees on all levels. It's that the officials, the people in charge, want to know these coaches and athletes and other you know uh, athletic department administrators know that they're trying, you know, that they're mm-hmm. doing everything they can to make football happen. But whenever you, you see, I don't know if y'all saw it today, but they announced the most ever today at 1,775 uh. new cases with 48 deaths. Mm. Um, we're, you know, we're still trending in the wrong direction. Uh, I think we're right around, you know, close to 1,000 people hospitalized uh, with confirmed cases. Uh, it's going to be difficult uh, to make this happen, especially once uh, kids enter the classroom. And, you know, I mean, you know, as much as we do need education to happen this fall, uh, once they enter the classroom, the, the chance of spread, you know, kind of multiplies. Uh, so it's going to be really hard. Uh, just like we talked about colleges, you know, colleges and high schools face a lot of the same issues in that uh, the pros have the resources to, cre- to create some type of bubble, uh, especially at the smaller colleges. That's not really an option unless you, like, don't allow any students back on campus. You could easily maybe set up a bubble uh, uh, at least to prepare for games, you know, travel would be another thing. Uh, but it's it's going to be tough. 
Um, I'm a little, you know, I was kind of optimistic that we were going to see some type of football this fall, but uh, the more I see the numbers go up and the deaths go up and hospitalizations go up, it's the chances are, are getting slimmer by the day and by the week. Luke? Patrick, you had a listener text uh, text me just a minute ago. Listen to our conversation. You know, the uh, I, I've felt the same way um, about the press box, the the way that you have, you and I, you were up there with us uh, for the the South State Championship between Picayune and West mm-hmm. Jones, and you know how um, at West Jones how crammed we were up there, and <laughs> and that's a pretty spacious press box, you know, and up above mm-hmm. you you got you got a, a section for in the second story you got a section for. The coaches of, of both teams is the interpretation you think for the MHSAA basically saying that only the officials and the person running the, the scoreboard and uh, the PA announcer are, are they not going to let coaches in the press box now? No video crews in the press box, especially even if it's like a home team. Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, maybe techn- if there's a situation where you know they're allowed to go to the top of the press box, I think you can avoid uh, some issues there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you read it, it says only clock operator and PA announcer in the press box. And I've kind of been surprised more times. I see more coaches on the field as opposed to the press box than I've seen in the past. I think they're moving away from that. I don't have a great explanation. Maybe it's because they're able to get some type of video from, you know, to the field during the course of the game that they can look at when they want to know something or something like that. I, I'm not an expert on all that. But yeah, I, I, I think there's a chance we're not going to see coaches in the, in the press box. Or at least, you know, maybe they could station them, at, you know, at somewhere in the bleachers up high. Uh, maybe that could be arranged. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, that's that's what it appears to say here. Yeah. So a lot of those teams, what they'll do is they'll set their video crew up, and they'll either have a television or sometimes they have iPads on the sidelines, and they'll just, you know, it's 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 on a smaller scale what you see college do, and obviously the the big scale of what the NFL does. It's still just baffling to me the MHSAA still uh, un- under the uh, mouth guard. I think it was tooth and mouth protection. It said they still are uh, trying to figure out what to do on that front. Um, I had a buddy who coaches in South Mississippi just mentioned to me um, in confidence, uh, and obviously I won't, I won't bring up his name, but he just he said, I don't understand or I don't see how we as coaches and administrators and athletic directors are going to be able to meet all of the requirements. Because if you mm-hmm. if you, we brought the, uh, we talked about this yesterday, you know how are you going to coach kids up during a timeout if they got to be six feet apart social distancing? It's going to look like a stretch huddle. You know how how are you going to have how, how are you going to coach up the O line in front of a chalkboard when they're spaced out? You know that's thirty feet between five linemen. Yeah, the sideline thing seems pretty unrealistic. Um, and I've you know talked to somebody who was a superintendent before all these guidelines come out, and it's like, like look, all this his the superintendent of this school district said, look, you know, all this COVID stuff goes out the window. Once football season starts, you know, on a football field, there's just no way you can follow any of these guidelines. And, and I could see where he was coming from because the, the you know, the, the sport of football is a contact sport. There's constant interaction, you know, on the field. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of hard to envision how they would do social distancing on the sideline in those situations. Uh, you know, <laughs> no high fives, I mean, I really but bring know. the heat when you when you smoke that quarterback. Just don't give him a high five after the play. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So yeah, it's. I mean, when it comes to football, it's, it's to me, 
football and basketball are the two sports with social. Maybe in basketball you can easily socially distance on the uh, you know court side a little bit, but on the court, once the sports you know starts up, there's just no way. There's just no way. Right, and then you got to look at the you got to look at the participation of fans, Patrick. It, it seems like it's just proving to be impossible to get young people in general to abide by what medical experts say need to be done to tamp this down. How in the world are you going to enforce high school kids to socially distance between themselves before, during, and after a high school football game? Yeah, it's, I mean, just my experience and everything I've noticed is, I mean, even if you go to the beach where, you know, here in Ocean Springs, everybody's kind of spread out and able to socially distance, but you look around and there's a, you know, 50 kids and they're all teenagers all huddled together. Right. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, you know, and that's a big reason for today's spread. Uh, once we got out of the, out of the lockdowns, a lot of the teenagers and 20 year olds got out and just wanted to see their friends again. And then it just kind of went from there. And we're seeing, you know, even more, you know, consistent spread out of that still today. So, uh, once high school is in session and if classes look something similar to what we've seen in the past, I mean, that, that spread is just going to continue. But no, I don't expect these kids to really change their practice that we've seen through this. No. All right, Patrick. Is there ever going to be a day we can talk to you about a ball game again? Do you think uh, is that is that anywhere in our future? We can talk Major League Baseball next week if they're still playing. If you want, <laughs> if they're if they're still playing, right, Patrick? Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, got it, buddy. Still going. All right, as always, man. We greatly appreciate your input. I want you to stay safe down there now. Uh, on the Gulf Coast and in New Orleans, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show next week. All right. Thanks, guys. See y'all. All right. Patrick McGee, everybody, the professor from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Hard to overemphasize uh, the solid input and contribution Patrick has made, uh, Luke, to the Eagle Hour since uh, we started this show three years ago. We never give him a week off, and he never wants a week off. So thank you no. for uh, his contributions and good stuff. D-Bat, D-1, great places to take your kids right now. If you've got a uh, baseball or softball player, D-Bat is the ultimate training facility for them. If you're an adult athlete or a college athlete, no matter the sport, D-1 training facility has expert training and conditioning that will make you better at your sport. D-Bat, D-1, Hardy Street, Hattiesburg, the old Getty's Pizza Building, state-of-the-art athletic training right here in Hattiesburg. Jonathan Massey. Former wide receiver for the Golden Eagles next. Southern Miss to the top. Back on a Thursday, thank you for joining us, Luke and Bob, from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Third segment brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill. You missed Pork Chop Thursday if you did not eat it. 4th Street Bar and Grill today. They had a grilled or fried pork chop with turnip greens, sweet potato casserole, toast, and a drink, Mm. and it was only... Eight ninety five. Right now, they got grilled shrimp, mahi mahi. They have an oyster po' boy. Um, so just uh, put them on your radar tomorrow. They're going to probably have one of Bob's favorite dishes in the world, and that would be Bob catfish. 
And I, w- I want to thank you, you for throwing that out there, Luke. I just ate a ham sandwich before we went on the air, so um, I appreciate hearing about the lunch down at Fourth Street. Uh, grilled or uh, <laughs> fried pork chop went down today. Don't uh, miss a, a lunch at Fourth Street Bar and Grill, and they're a proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. Happy to have Jonathan Massey on with us, a tight end for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles from 2008 to 2010. He's joining us now. Now, Jonathan, we have VJ Floyd on yesterday, and uh, he was pretty honest about his touchdown pass to you. Uh, he, he said that it was one of the worst um, passes probably ever thrown in football. He had a lot of pressure on him. Coach Fedora told him not to mess it up. But nevertheless, you caught it for a touchdown. Do you remember that day? I do, I do. We were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we were playing Kansas in, in 2010 probably. And, uh, no, I remember that play. It was the, the jump pass that Tim Tebow made, uh, made famous. And uh, I guess in the, in, the, in the spirit of honesty, since he's going to be honest, um, actually, with that pass, I slipped and fell, and the ball landed on me. So I guess both of us, we tried our best to mess it up, but I guess it was uh, meant for that touchdown to happen. Uh. Coach Fedora got happy regardless of it, right? <laughs> we all got happy regardless. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you, you hailed from Gaucher, and uh, you went to community college at Colin. Um, big, uh, big recruit. P- people wanted you for for your size and uh, your hands and uh, your ability to to play the tight end position. But you only played at Colin for for one year. It's a that's a little unique situation. Tell us why you only stayed in Weston for one year, and then how'd you make your way to Hattiesburg? Yeah, well, well, actually, out of high school, I uh, I originally went to Vanderbilt. Um, you know, signed. Signed with them out of high school and, and ultimately transferred out after my freshman year and, and went to uh, Colin. So, you know, just kind of knowing the situation uh, in terms of eligibility and how much time I would have left um, after leaving, uh, after spending my year at Colin, I, you know, had the I'll say the options that I was looking for. Southern Miss was actually my second option uh, coming out of high school, and uh, so you know when they were still interested, it made sense for me. Allowed me to be closer to home, still play, you know, Division One football at a at a high level, and um, you know was a, was a place that I was already familiar and comfortable with. You know, Jonathan, uh, I, I I'm going to confess something. I, I was a big Jeff Bauer fan, and I, I was one of the uh-huh. fans that were really upset when uh, when Coach Bauer, you know, departed and, and Coach Fedora came in. But when I talk to you guys that played for Larry Fedora, there seems to be a common theme, and that was that it was high energy, it was exciting, and it was a lot of fun playing for Larry Fedora. Am I right about that? No, absolutely right. You know, I, I, it's funny. There are, are a lot of uh, lessons that I take from, you know, that time um, at Southern Miss playing for Coach Fedora, and uh, a lot of uh, just like little sayings that you'll catch yourself saying later on, and when you think back, you're like, man, that's one of those uh, fedora-isms. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of examples you can share with us? Give us give us his best when he's pumped up on Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, best one pumped up on Red Bull. Um, I would say probably there, there there's two that come to mind for me, right? I think the first one was, uh, you know, it only takes giving that much more, and he, you know, have the little his little, his fingers almost barely separated, and uh-huh. uh, basically just just going and saying, you know, it only takes giving a little bit more effort to, uh, you know, to, to 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 progress and be better. But I think that probably the best one, I, to my opinion, was uh, 
he'd always tell you whenever you complained about something, he'd say, don't tell me about the pain, just show me the baby. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, wow. You know, I bet he never said that to his wife. <laughs> no, I hope not. I hope not. Well, that's pretty good stuff there. I, I guess he just kept you guys really motivated and jacked up and, uh, and it's you know it definitely showed offensively. And another question I have for you, Jonathan and Luke, and I have heard this. You know, Fedora's teams won a lot of games, fifty-five to fifty-two. But yet, guys that played for Fedora said he really did place a great value on defensive football. You know, he did. I think. I think ultimately, when you look at the spread offense, it it lends itself to be tough on defenses in general because it's it's very much no huddle. It, it's it's Kind of a, I won't say a gamble. It's more calculated risk. You you play at a high speed, so you end up with the defense on the field more than, you know, if you took the time to huddle and, and call plays and so on and so forth. So by design, you end up with less defense. But I mean, it, he was very, very even in how he thought about you know our team and 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 what success looked like. It, being an offensive coach, it wasn't just about offense. He wanted to have. Uh, you know, really good defenses on the field. And, you, I mean, you could see that just over time. I mean, we didn't have the same defensive coordinator the entire time. And, and you know, you look and you see where, where things could get better on both sides of the ball. I mean, we we had uh, different coaches, you know, just throughout the time and, and even the couple years after me. Um, well, you saw it was always about consistently improving. But, you know, he looked at all phases of the game. And, and fun fact, he actually – personally coached if i'm not mistaken it was the uh the punt or punt return team mm-hmm. um he personally coached them i mean he you know right. he still had that itch to coach it to to, to coach hands-on so that was his way of doing it right well jonathan here's the bottom line you, you score more points than your opponent and you win the game and it doesn't matter absolutely. where how you score right absolutely right. absolutely right all right luke uh don't tell me about the pain luke just show me the baby <laughs> I, I just i don't have anything to respond to that i mean that is uh I can, I can see coach fedora saying that i just i really can't jonathan you know um when when the spread offense came into existence one of the jokes was uh well there's no such thing as tight ends we don't have tight ends tight ends don't exist in a spread system at the same time that wasn't the case in larry fedora's offense and people forget how much especially with damian fletcher how much with VJ Floyd? We talked to him yesterday. How much the tight end was used, and how much the running game was used in a Larry Fedora offense? Yeah, it, we we were a very balanced uh, balanced offense. I mean, if you look, we probably you know our, our total yards. We put up a lot of yards and a lot of points, but it was probably fifty five percent passing and fifty percent running. Um, to be to be perfectly honest, it was it was very balanced. Um, as a part of that, the run game was was having a tight end who could you know help seal the edge and and you know spread out wide, being able to uh, draw the linebackers out a little bit and safeties that came down out of the box. But even in the passing game, I mean, you look over my time. Besides myself, we had you know Sean Nelson who went on to uh, play for the Buffalo Bills, yep. uh, got drafted in the fourth round, was a, was a tight end in the offense. Uh, myself and Leroy Banks. Um, and then my senior year, I also split time with Jodrick Morris, you know, who, who you know, uh, all got an opportunity, at least looks to go to training camp with NFL teams. So, um, you know, it's definitely been a uh, tight end was an integral part of, of, of the offense and, um, yeah. you know, in the passing and rushing game. 
got to ask you about this because this was uh, this is in your Southern Miss bio. Okay. You recorded a song called Mississippi, and you and Terrence Connor performed it at a basketball game. Well, yeah, we did. So, so funny, funny story about that is we actually recorded a song, you know, Mississippi, the, the song Mississippi, and it was just something we were doing, you know, because at that point we wanted to rap, and he sung as well, and so. You know, our teammates really gravitated to it, and so it ended up, you know, as we were making the pregame, you know, playlist and whatnot, we had enough teammates that were like, hey, put that on the playlist. And so it kind of grew from there. We we got to perform it at a a basketball game, and then it actually led to we we recorded what we call game day anthems. Um, The next probably four years we did – uh, Black and uh, Golden Negro Pride. We did, you know, uh, Rise to the Top. We did uh, SMTTT, which was a kind of a remix to the fight song. Um, and, and so we did that about four or five years. Uh, and another born to fly. Now that I think about it, um, and, and I actually had a chance to. They were played before games, football games, during basketball games, and uh, actually one of the the groups on campus brought us in for Friday night at the lights and. and we performed it there as well. Well, my man, I'm going to tell you something. They still play Golden Eagle Pride at baseball games right now. Really? I, I've, I've really? heard that many, many times. Uh, yeah, and so that's you, huh? That is. That is. I don't know. I always thought that was Afro Man, but no, it's not. It's Jonathan <laughs> Massey, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, Jonathan. Great conversation, my man. Let our, let our listeners know really quick where you are right now. You told us, but they like to hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Dallas, Texas right now. I uh, work in, in kind of a, a commercial real estate portfolio management role um, out here in Dallas. Been here since October and, um, you know, getting acclimated and love it. Good to Hey, man, we appreciate you being on the show. It was a fun conversation. Great talking to you and uh, very grateful. You're welcome on the Eagle Hour anytime, my man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Jonathan Massey, everybody. Another great conversation. Great young Southern Miss kid plays football goes on to be very successful in life Uh, very well spoken fun to talk to kelly sanders next Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Last segment of today's Eagle Hour brought to you by Toyota of Hattiesburg. Whether you want to purchase uh, maybe a new SUV, get you a 4Runner, a a sedan Camry or Corolla, or a great Tacoma or Tundra pickup truck, Toyota Hattiesburg, the place uh, to get it and go see them on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg or online, Toyota Hattiesburg.com. Kelly John Sanner joins us now on uh, on the phone. And Kelly, uh, NBA back today, uh, literally in a bubble. Um, should be interesting to see how uh, basketball presents itself, uh, obviously other than how baseball has. Uh, but not good news on the baseball front. Another team shut down on the corona front. The Philadelphia Phillies, uh, who, who played the Miami Marlins this past weekend, and of course the the Marlins situation is well documented. They're up to now, I think, 16 players and coaches who've tested positive for COVID. Well, they played the Phillies last weekend 
Now reports out of Philadelphia today, two of the Phillies are reporting positive COVID-19 tests. So the Phillies games uh, through the weekend you know, have been postponed, and you, have, you hope that this certainly isn't a mushroom effect. But this, uh, this virus is so whimsical, and you, know, you don't, never know who it's gonna, who it's gonna, who's going to get it, who's not going to get it, and how serious it might be. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball is contemplating with some of these cancellations with the Phillies and the Marlins, for example. And when, when weather wreaks havoc, the double headers have to be scheduled. Major leagues are actually talking about double headers being two seven-inning games, very much like you would have in, uh, in high school or uh, <laughs> leagues lower than that. The idea would be that players wouldn't have to be exposed to each other more than just the minimum. And again, taking it easier on pitching staffs, but major leagues, throwing that idea out about doubleheaders consisting of two seven-inning ball games, And on the college football front, two more smaller conferences have announced they will not be playing football in the fall. Indeed, they are smaller conferences, the Northeast and, um, and I think the Northwest um, have all said now that they're, that they're canceling fall sports. So the dominoes continue to fall, guys. Mm. News doesn't get better, does it, Kelly? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get Mississippi's numbers today. Seventeen hundred and seventy-five, highest one-day total yet. Oh boy! Yeah. So the news is just. Uh, Let me tell you all about this. Um, the, it it needs to get better at the NCAA. Uh, what would you say that the job description of Mark Emmert, uh, the NCAA president, would? Well, what what do you think the baseline uh, description of his job would entail? Working very little and making a lot of money. <laughs> I need that job. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you think he would be aware of actually how his own championships work? You would think so. That would be reasonable. NCAA President Mark Emmert uh, had an interview with ESPN this week. And the conversation was basically about how football, basketball are, are different, and not just within football, but the different subdivisions of football are. And so Division One obviously has the FBS, which Southern Miss, Group of Five, Power Five are in the football bowl subdivision, and then the FCS, which used to be known as D1AA, which is the football championship subdivision. No bowl games in FCS, but they have a 16-game playoff. Okay, like kind of what we've always wanted to see maybe in, in FBS. Now, Kelly Center, what is a round-robin tournament? Well, I mean, most people, when you think of a round-robin, it's that you play everybody, and whoever emerges with the best record would be the champion. The president of the NCAA to ESPN. The FCS is a round-robin championship with 20 teams participating and a full-on championship event. Hmm. He doesn't even know what his own championship is. Well, with 20 teams, you'd have to play, what, 19 games? (laughs) That'd be a pretty pretty long playoff, wouldn't it, Kelly? (laughs) Yeah, just for the playoffs. Forget the regular season. Ladies and gentlemen, behold... The man that holds all of the collegiate answers in his hands. Uh, there he is. Yeah. And I do want to give a shout-out, you guys, too. And we've mentioned him a couple times on the air, but, but uh, Jacoby Jones out of Richton, Mississippi, tearing it up for the Detroit Tigers. Two doubles and a homer uh, for Detroit last night as they continue to play well. So good for him. It's always good to see Mississippi.
Mississippi guy um, doing well. How many games have the Tigers won, Kelly? They are now four and two, Bob. Can you believe that? Four and two. So that's probably more games than the Bengals will win all year. Am I correct about that? Four? Oh, God, that's easy. Of course. <laughs> of course it's more games than, than them. But, you know, you were talking about the NBA starting tonight. Of course, they've been in their bubble. Not one positive test of COVID in the NBA. The same with the National Hockey League. I know you guys are going to rest easy this weekend that the NHL guys are back on the ice. But no positive tests in the NBA, no positive tests in the NHL. Hmm. But now you have to wonder where baseball is headed now with the Marlins and now the Phillies, albeit for at least temporarily hey. shut down, where that's going to go. Yep. It doesn't matter. Cubs turned to triple play last night. Who cares hmm. about what happens in baseball? Tigers and Cubs. Man, the sports are actually back. You guys are excited about the Tigers and the Cubs. How about that, huh? What if that turned out to be the World Series? Nothing's as good, though, as the Johnsonville Cornhole Championships on ESPN. I've got it recorded, Kelly. I I couldn't catch it live, but I'm going to watch it tonight. Until Major League Baseball and the NBA started back, that was primetime television for ESPN for the last three months. Real quick, you feeling good, Kelly Sander? Much better. Thank you, Bob. All right, well, we're glad. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Get Kelly more involved in the show tomorrow. I just had a a lot of guests today, but uh, Kelly back with us tomorrow. Until then, Southern Miss. To the top. To the top. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.